Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. How's it going, Dr. Suzanne Greer? Things are going great today, Joe. How are you? Getting there. Yeah, I'm good. And I've got a question for you in just a second. First, let me introduce our guest today. Two guests, Dr. Michael Emanuel. He is an associate professor in the Department of Pharmacology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and the UNC Cancer Center. And his collaborator, uh, Dr. Claudia Benevente, she's assistant professor of pharmaceutical sciences at the University of California, Irvine. They're, they um, they teamed up through, and they're going to talk about this. They've got some really nice story about how they found each other through this uh, American Cancer Society's online community for current grantees and former grantees. Um, they're also going to talk about triple negative breast cancer, you know, um, and, and how their project could have an impact on this. But Susanna, my question, you know, before the conversation, you were telling me how you used to kind of work in this space, right? Yeah, absolutely. Claudia and Mike study a process that occurs in all cells, which involves, you know, how to how do cells do what we do all the time, which is toss something in the trash, right? When a cell is finished with a protein, it's kind of old and raggedy, or maybe a, a protein has a mutation in it, you know, how do cells get rid of it? All right. So that process turns out to be crucially important. And as you might imagine, when that process goes awry, cancer cells are like, fantastic because we can use some of these proteins that are accumulated in some really nasty ways and Claudia and Mike you you are going to love this because they are studying basically different ends of that destruction process of cellular proteins because one one end you might study is how do we keep from throwing more things in the trash, right? How do we just block that? And the other end is, well, how do we speed it up? If something's in the trash can, how do I get my kid to empty the trash faster? And so they have made some just enormously impactful observations for a protein that plays some really critical roles in many cancers. But we now know in triple negative breast cancer, and the more we know, the better we're going to be at targeting uh, this protein and others like it to prevent triple negative breast cancer cells from from doing the horrible things that they do, like uh, divide and metastasize. So let's get to it. Hello, Claudia. Hello, Mike. How are you? Great. Thank you. I'm great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we are. We are jazzed to talk about some fun stuff, things that I haven't thought about and gotten to do for at least five minutes. No, my uh, my old love is ubiquitous, and we're gonna we're gonna dive in. Howdy, let's start with you. So first off, I need to offer some enormous congratulations. I'm really excited for you and Mike. You were recently awarded a grant from the American Cancer Society. It's called a Theory Lab Collaborative Grant, which doesn't mean a whole lot to our audience, but it's a it's a cool grant because it encourages, as the name implies, collaboration. And your study is going to really impact triple negative breast cancer. So all of our listeners don't think about triple negative breast cancer all the time. So let's just level set a bit. Help remind us 
what does that mean? What does triple negative mean? Well, first of all, thank you for having us and thanks to the American Cancer Society for your continued support to our anti-cancer research programs. Um, triple negative breast cancer is, as the name says, is a type of breast cancer that does not have any of the receptors that are commonly found in other breast cancers. And those receptors are the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, which are two uh, female hormone receptors, and the human epidermal growth factor, also known as HER2. And this type of cancer tends to be more common in younger women, so women under the age of 40 in African-Americans, and as well as those individuals who have mutations in the BRCA1 gene. Currently, there are a lot of very specific therapeutic options available that target specific breast cancers that are ER positive, so that they have the estrogen receptor or that have the progesterone uh, receptor or that are HER2 positive. But for triple negative breast cancers, those are not viable treatments. So what patients with triple negative breast cancer are left with is uh, removal of the initial, the, the lump that they feel through a lumpectomy, uh, mastectomy, so the whole removal of the, of the breast tissue, along with the surrounding lymph nodes. Um, they can also undergo radiation. And in terms of chemicals that get into the body, the only other effective option is chemotherapy. So currently there's nothing as specific that we can use to target triple negative breast cancers. Okay, thank you. That that helps. It's a great reminder that triple negative is is a descriptive term, and as you said, it reminds us that this is a difficult disease to treat because the proteins. And you reminded us the term is receptors, but some of the proteins that are commonly found on other breast cancer types aren't found on triple negative breast cancer and makes this type of breast cancer more challenging to treat where patients are looking at the options of surgery, which can be invasive, as you said, radiation. And then really we are, are quite limited beyond that with any type of targeted therapy. So we're, patients are thinking about chemotherapy. So there is an enormous need to expand our treatment options um, for triple negative breast cancer. So we're really excited about the work you're doing in this space. Along those lines, one of the observations that Claudia, you had previously made is that there, there's some hope here. There's a protein. And for our listeners, I'll spell it out one time and then, and then we're gonna we're gonna just give it a we'll call it a name. So it, this protein that you've studied um, called UHRF1. So maybe if it's okay with you and Mike, we'll call it ERF1, could potentially have therapeutic therapeutic potential in cancers that have some pretty striking similarities to triple negative breast cancer. So let's let's just help our audience understand. Maybe let, let me start with one question. Help us to get a clearer picture of what ERF1 does in normal cells. Yeah, so 
you know, and I, and I think that it would be interesting to just like to mention because uh, quite often we think about research stemming that you know the, the advances that we make in science towards something like breast cancer starts from studying breast cancer. And in this case, how we came about this ERF1 protein is research in my laboratory up to this point has predominantly focused on childhood solid tumors, which have a mutation in a protein called retinoblastoma. Um, and this same gene that forms this protein is also mutated in uh, triple negative breast cancer. And so we've identified that cancers with RV mutations in general have high ERF1 uh, that is commonly expressed at abnormally high levels, uh, and it helps tumors become more aggressive. So normally, it's getting to your question, in cells, ERF1 is very tightly controlled. It is only present at a stage in which the cells are making copies of the DNA in order for the cells to divide and proliferate. So once the cell is done proliferating, ERF1 is tightly regulated and it goes away. ERF1 is doing is making sure that in addition to the cells passing down an identical copy of the DNA to the daughter cells, that the daughter cells also inherit their cellular identity, which is defined by epigenetics. Uh, and so ERF helps pass down, inherit to the daughter cell, the epigenetic identity of that cell so that if a cell is, it's a prokaryotic cell, it just makes two prokaryotic cells instead of one. Uh, it's a little bit like if in humans, if you were a doctor was dividing itself, it's making another doctor instead of making a baby. So it's, you go on with all your degrees. It's more of a photocopy than, um, than an actual, you know, having, you know, we, when we talk about daughter cells, it's not like having a baby, but just basically making, cloning yourself, making another one identical to yourself. Uh, and that's where Earth One helps, is that when they're copying, it's another identical to itself. So that's what normally it's it's doing. Well, that's interesting. And it it's it's exactly a prototype for what we hear so often in proteins whose function is changed in cancer cells. So it has Earth One has this this function in normal cells that's absolutely required, right? If you're a lung cell and you divide, you want to make two more lung cells. You don't need to make a a, a cell that is going to be cardiovascular in nature. So, so that's important. And it sounds like in cancer cells, the role that ERF1 may play in cell division becomes usurped by cancer cells. So maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Why is ERF1 function so important in cancer cells? So, so you know, just to Reaffirm it. So in normal cells, ERF1 is only needed during cell division and should only be present when the cell is dividing the DNA. In cancer cells, now what we observe is that ERF1 is present in the cells at all times, not just when they're dividing. So there's definitely things that ERF1 is doing beyond what it's needed in normal cells. Now, the problem is that we're still learning what exactly is ERF1 doing in cancer cells. What we do know so far is that it helps, one, with the proliferation. So it, if you have more of one, the cells are going to be dividing a little bit quicker, and that's very characteristic of cancer cells. But it also helps cells become more migratory, to be, become more invasive. And this adds up to becoming more metastatic. And this is very, very relevant in all of these cancers that we're studying, because this is what makes 
cancer is lethal to the vast majority of patients is when the tumor breaks away from the initial location and invade other critical organs. So in breast cancer, if you remove the breast tissue, it's not a vital organ, and, you, and that's okay. But it's when those cancer cells break away and invade uh, the lungs, where you absolutely need um, to breathe, then that's where um, you start seeing lethality with cancer patients. Absolutely. That's so interesting. I mean, it sounds like ERF-1 is managed to end cancer cells, be used for the two things that we really worry about, right? The ability to divide indefinitely, and then also the, the ability to move to other places, right? Or metastasize. So, okay. I think we've said this stage that ERF-1 is a bad player in cancer, seems to be a bad player in triple negative, and we we have a lot to learn, and not only about ERF-1, but maybe how we could target it. So with that, Mike, I want to ask you a couple of questions before we get into the nitty-gritty of the super cool work that you guys are doing. So the first is that you, you are Claudia's collaborator on this ACS Theory Lab grant. So congrats. That's awesome. Um, but I think our audience would probably be interested to know how you found each other because it is, I think, probably somewhat surprising to some of our listeners that it can be challenging for scientists to find folks to work together. I mean, it's not like if you are, you need to go plant your flower garden and you can just kind of put on your neighborhood listserv, hey, looking for other folks interested in gardening. It's it's complex and difficult. And so how did you do it? How did you and Claudia found each other? Uh, so first I wanna, again, thank you for having us here today to talk about our research. And yeah, I talked I talked to a lot of my neighbors about Earth One, but they all looked at me like uh, I was crazy. So <clears throat> instead I ended up <laughs> on this uh, really fantastic resource that uh, as you know, the American Cancer Society has set up uh, for its funded researchers called the Theory Lab Collaborative, which is this uh, online system where sort of all the researchers can sort of meet and co-mingle uh, and hear about each other's research or read about each other's research. It's sort of like um, maybe Facebook for uh, really nerdy scientists. Um, and when I heard about this grant, I was sort of scouring through that website uh, for nerdy scientists to find someone whose research uh, might overlap with mine. And I was really fortunate to bump into Claudia's profile. And it turns out me and her have sort of very, um, mostly sort of like non-overlapping interests in this, but this very, I think, fortuitous um, interest in this one Earth one protein. And my lab uh, came to it from like a totally different direction. We're interested in how protein levels go up and down when cells are dividing. And she was interested in how genes that might get dysregulated in certain types of cancer. Uh, and we sort of both landed in the same place. And it, the this online system made it really easy to reach out to her. I had actually heard about her work before because she works on uh, another protein that I had heard of called HELS. Um, and, and we connected uh, through the American Cancer Society. And uh, we've been talking about this stuff ever since. Very nice. So, I mean, it was it was a match. Maiden, we just note to our audience, the ACS does not have match.com for scientists, but <laughs> this is similar, right? This is Theory Lab, you're exactly right, is an online platform where researchers can 
throw out ideas, look for collaborators. And it, it, it sounds like, Mike, you did exactly that, that you you found Claudia because you were both studying a protein from different angles. You were interested in, okay, well, how how do proteins and cells decide how much of a protein is necessary during cell division? And then Claudia has already told us that there's too much ERF1 in cancer cells. So this seemed like a pretty natural collaboration. So that's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit more about ERF1 especially. And, and knowing what we've just shared with our audience, that there's too much ERF1 in lots of cancer types. And today we're talking about triple negative breast cancer. And we know that that correlates with some not great outcomes around metastasis. So the, the next logical step would be, okay, well, let's prevent that. And that, that feel that's, let's prevent right there being too much of this protein in cancer cells, and then we'll have everything solved. And so that's, that field is largely called drug discovery. But in order to do that, we have to block a protein's functionality and I mean this is your area of expertise but I don't think there are any known inhibitors of the function of ERF1 so this is a huge challenge so I, one of the things I'd love for you to share with us is a recent discovery that your lab made is something about ERF1 and how it is controlled so Tell us a little bit more about your discovery because that might help us to understand if we understood how it was controlled, right? We might be able to target it. Sure. So yeah, you're exactly right. Um, ERF1 does not have any inhibitors. And when we talk, say inhibitors or drugs, we're talking about something that would usually just shut it off or turn off its activity. Um, and we don't have those for ERF1, unfortunately. Uh, what my lab was doing when we came across this, this molecule is we were looking for uh, enzymes who go up and down as cells proliferate. That is that their levels increase and decrease uh, during normal proliferation. And we noticed that, that uh, ERF1 is one of these unique proteins that its levels go really high when cells are going through the division process, when they're making copies of themselves. And then it gets really low at other times. Uh, and this is because you make more ERF1, but also because you actually get rid of it, you destroy it. So the cell has this um, really complex mechanism of getting rid of things it doesn't need at appropriate times. It's called the ubiquitin system, which I know you know a lot, a little bit about. Um, and so it actually destroys ERF1. And what this, this suggested to us that maybe we could take advantage of the cell's innate ability to get rid of ERF1 and sort of maybe trick it into shutting it off itself, but not just shut it off, but just get rid of it altogether. So that's sort of the, the genesis of this project is to sort of take advantage of the cell's ability to get rid of ERF1 by tricking it into doing it itself. So, uh, and the enzymes that we could play with to do that, uh, there are drugs too. So maybe this creates now sort of a window of opportunity for us to get into uh, stopping these triple negative cancer cells from proliferating by tricking them into getting rid of ERF1. Ah, very nice. So I like it when scientists are kind of like uh, private investigators, right? You found that ERF1 in a, in a normal cell that it goes through this ebb and flow. A lot of ERF1 
And then the cell manages to almost totally eliminate it. And you understand a lot about this process of cellular elimination, which you're right. I mean, all cells do this. Um, and it's a very typical way to, to get rid of proteins that are either damaged or the cell doesn't need anymore, which sounds like that's what's happening to Earth-1 in a normal cell. But in a cancer cell, there's something that's really gone wrong with this process. But the good news is, you're exactly right, there are drugs that have been used to target other parts of the system. So you can kind of think of it like your trash compactor that if you, you know, you'd had some great luck throwing tomatoes and carrots and things down the garbage disposal. And then all of a sudden, like my dad did one time, you put a bunch of shrimp down there and broke it and you had to call a plumber, there are things we can fix, right? There are, are ways that we can target this system of, of protein destruction. So that, that to me is the really good news piece. Would you say that is a reasonable explanation? Yeah, I think so. I think that is, and that's, the, that's the, certainly the hope or the, the promise of this project that we, could, that we could do this, exactly what you said. All right, so Claudia, then knowing what you knew about Mike's observations and the work that his lab had done, how did this kind of help you to think about ERF-1 related to triple negative breast cancer? And maybe a, a, a second question would be, how will you take advantage of this understanding that Mike has about how normal cells eliminate ERF-1 when you think about moving towards therapeutic application for triple negative breast cancer? Well, first of all, it was Mike who brought to us the confirmation that ERF-1 would be an attractive target for therapeutics in triple negative breast cancer. We were not working on this cancer prior to this collaboration. Um, also, Michael's research opened a whole new perspective on how to target uterf one as you were just uh, mentioning. We had been studying the process on how ERF is regulated at the, how you make it at the production side of the question that, you know, the person that goes and starts trashing on the, throwing stuff into your garbage disposal, right? So you can, <laughs> you can maintain how much trash there is by making sure that the garbage disposal is, is working, but also preventing some people from throwing trash in there. So that's what, you know, that's the side where we had been looking at and how, how your one is. Earth is being made, um, and we have been trying to figure out how to target Earth directly. Um, but as we've been talking, Earth has a critical role in normal cells, so that targeting Earth directly or one directly may have some unwanted consequences in normal cells. Um, but normal cells do normally get rid of Earth one when they're done dividing. And so that creates a wonderful opportunity that if we can hijack that system and basically shake some sense into the cancer cells and tell them you have to degrade, force them to get rid of Earth-1, then that would be a way in which we can uh, really come up with a new novel uh, target therapeutics for these patients that have triple negative breast cancer. And we'll come to, you know, with my side of the equation and Mike's side of the question, we'll gain a full understanding um, and control over Earth-1 
to figure out which is the best approach, right? Um, maybe we can target uh, both how it's made, how it functions, and how it's eliminated. Right? We can combine things uh, around. I really love that you're both coming at it from opposite sides, right? That you were thinking more on the production side and Mike's thinking more on the elimination side and the the obvious intersection in the middle is to hijack, to hijack the destruction of Earth One. But you, you raise a really fantastic point, which is that Earth One has a critically important role in all cells, right? All cells, as you said, need to make, when they divide, need to make appropriate copies of themselves so that the, inform that the information from these cells, not only does cell division occur, but that the information around the cellular type is retained. So we can't just target Earth one throughout the body. This has to be very specific and very targeted to cancer cells. And in this case, triple negative breast cancer. So Mike, I'll, let me pose this question to you. So if you guys are right, if you and Claudia are correct, that there's something about Earth One, and we don't know what it is, but there's something about it that plays a really important role in some of the worst outcomes of triple negative breast cancer, which in, in this conversation would be the ability of triple negative breast cancer cells to, to move throughout the body or metastasize. Help us understand how, how do you move forward, right? What are the steps that you would take to think about how you might specifically target ERF-1 in triple negative breast cancer cells only and not hit normal cells that need this protein to function? Well, I think um, it, it's going to, with any sort of a drug, it's going to be very hard, I would say, to to only get the drug into the triple negative breast cancer cells, right? And this is a, maybe not a challenge just for us, but a challenge for all of uh, drug discovery and all uh, in all clinical realms. I think maybe what we're not trying to do is only target um, the UHRF1 in the triple negative breast cancer cells, but maybe to dial the level of UHRF1 in those triple negative breast cancer cells back down to a more normal level that we see in all of our cells. And in doing so, you'd sort of like um, curb those worst urges or habits of the triple negative breast cancer cells, which are again to like just grow and proliferate at an incredibly rapid rate uh, and to metastasize. And if we could sort of curb those worst urges of, of those triple negative breast cancer cells, we might be able to really, um, one, make those cells more sensitive to other types of treatments uh, or um, at, at least uh, not have that cancer type be quite so aggressive. Um, just by, again, like bringing its its levels back down. And I'll say too, um, you know, the, uh, we hadn't thought about this until we really started thinking about it. I think like Claudia did is that you, ERF-1 is like a really unique, what we call like a vulnerability in these, um, these types of cancers where, that have lost what makes ERF-1. So um, and that is they've lost this tumor suppressor called RB or the retinoblastoma uh, protein or the activity of it. And so we think that maybe by uh, turning ERF-1 back down in triple negative breast cancers, and this might work in other cancers that have similar problems, we might be, again, able to, to curb their aggressiveness and curb their metastatic potential. And this could really um, 
really be helpful for a lot of patients, not just in triple negative breast cancer down the road, but uh, maybe other cancers as well. I love that. I love the the point that you raised about in your goal to dial down ERF-1 and there are going to be a lot of potentially really cool off-target effects in this case, like making ERF-1 sensitive to other treatments, decreasing aggressiveness, not only of triple negative breast cancer, but you reminded us that the reason ERF-1 has gone crazy is because one of the proteins that is in turn responsible for turning off ERF-1 itself is dysregulated in cancer cells and lots of different types of cancer cells. So the progress you make here could have some really cool implications for lots of other cancers. So that's oh, that's really exciting. So, Claudia, let me, I'll pivot off of that and say, I can hear in Mike's voice what he's excited about. As you think about this collaboration, what are you most excited about? You know, what do you guys talk about? And kind of in your wildest dreams, where could you be um, in the next few years? You know, in my wildest dreams is exactly what Mike is saying, is we would have developed a way in which we can prevent cancers, not just triple negative breast cancer, but cancers that have mutations in our B from at the very least metastasizing and colonizing vital organs in the patients. And this would significantly increase patient survival in and of itself. Uh, uh, my lab studies childhood solid tumors, as I mentioned briefly before. So this would have an impact in triple negative breast cancer. I know because we've already have a, a wealth of information on ERF-1 in retinoblastoma, in osteosarcoma, in small cell lung cancer. So this will really impact a lot of fields in which the common denominator is mutations in RB in high levels of ERF-1. Um, so I think that that would be fantastic. Can I, can I, I'm going to add something to that too, if that's okay. And that is that you know, I, we talked about these different subtypes in the beginning, but I'm not sure we said this explicitly, is that these TNBC, the triple negative breast cancers, really are like the uh, most aggressive subtype of breast cancer. Women diagnosed with TNBC have the most dire outcomes, and this is really a disease um, that is in really desperate need of improved therapy. So uh, there have been some advances in uh, immune oncology in triple negative breast cancer in the last several years, but still most patients are going to go to the hospital and uh, face a really sort of dire regime of different types of chemotherapies that are going to be really taxing on their bodies. And coming up with new strategies to treat this disease is really something that is an urgent biomedical need. It's incredibly just invigorating to hear the enthusiasm that you both have and just we overuse this word in cancer, but I think just the hope and, but the hope grounded in science that this is a protein that is a bad player. ERF-1 is a bad player in cancer cells and you, through your understanding of its regulation and through your understanding of the upstream players, so kind of the uh, if, if we were to think about a, a faucet that's turning ERF-1 on, it, it's this protein called RB. And the more we know, um, the more we can do to dial this down and, and to really prevent some of the most dire outcomes in uh, lots of cancers. And then today we are talking about triple negative breast cancer, which 
Mike, as you said so nicely, that um, we truly have a desperate need for increased therapies where our patients undergo these just really, really tough treatment regimes and have less than desirable outcomes. So ah, we'll stay tuned. We are, we are incredibly excited about what this research holds. So Mike, I want to ask you just because we, we talk to lots of scientists and we, we have lots of different scientists who um, are working or would like to work with other people to have this kind of cool synergy that you and Claudia have. So do you have advice that you would share for other researchers who are seeking this exact kind of thing, right? So how do you find your own niche and then still work together in this organic way where you can both grow in your careers and your research, but your impact is just, I think, logarithmically enhanced by working together. I think the key is, is I think there's two keys maybe. One is you needed to have some sort of a, a common bridge or interest that's gonna hold your attention and be able to like the drive conversations. Um, but your interests should not be quite so overlapping. So sometimes it's easy to think you wanna collaborate with your your best friend down the hall who works on something really similar to you or someone who you spend hours talking to at conferences um, but in some ways those are the least productive collaborations because that person has a an expertise that's really actually quite close to you and maybe everything they could do you could already do whereas uh, i think the benefit uh, for my lab uh, of working with claudia's lab is that uh, the things that she's doing in her lab and the things that she's thinking about are really just beyond what we could do on our own. And when we have conversations, it pushes me to think about things in different ways than I normally would. Uh, and that's been really, really uh, beneficial, particularly from my side, I think. I love that. And so Claudia Mike says that we should look beyond our inner circle. So do you have any other advice that you would add? I absolutely agree with, with Mike. I think that the ability of not stepping in each other's toes, uh, but really kind of like bring someone that makes, forces you to think about your questions from outside the box, because they're coming from outside the box and they kind of like invite you to step outside of the box and look at it. It's like in, and think this, you know, complementary ways of going about it. Um, I think it's, it's, it's great. Understanding the, the brilliance of the other uh, and, and and feed your own knowledge through them. It's 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 something that we should never lose. Well, both of you have and are having just some incredible impact in cancer and just seem on this really impressive career trajectory. So I'd like to ask you both, and Claudia, we'll start with you. How has ACS funding impacted your research? Well, so for me, ACS has been there holding my back through every step of my independent career. I have to be honest, I probably have received more ACS money than I ever envisioned uh, or that any scientist can get. ACS was my lifeline when I was in between grants. Um, and that allowed me to get a little bit more science done and to be able to get a larger grant, then I got a larger grant from ACS at the same time. And now through this new uh, grant, it's opened a brand new opportunity for me to get to know Michael um, through the, you know, the, this online matchmaking 
uh, of, of nerdy individuals in collaborate in new exciting uh, projects. So it's not just the monetary uh, support, but also you know just the, the the network of scientists to to interact with. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's really great to hear. I hundred percent. I'm just thrilled to know that we've been able to bring the two of you together and that we've enabled some of the fantastic work that you were doing. We're, we're incredibly impressed and proud. And Mike, I would um, ask you the same question. How has ACS funding impacted you? Yeah, in much the same way. I think uh, the ACS funding, especially when my lab is like a, a young lab as an assistant professor, uh, the ACS funding was really sort of that spark or that catalyst that uh, opened us up to be able to move in uh, directions we might not have moved in. And, and ultimately, that it resulted in the study that uh, kind of brought these two projects together into this uh, Theory Lab Collaborative. So uh, it's really sort of opened new doors for us uh, in terms of studying different aspects of uh, cancer and uh, different ways in which cells uh, grow and divide. And again, it, it, I could draw like a literally a direct line from uh, the funding of my ACS proposal to uh, the project uh, that spurred this collaboration here today. Ah, music to my ears. All right, I'm gonna let you both get back to get back to work. But I do have one question that I think our listeners would really appreciate hearing from you both. So Claudia, I'll, I'll pose it to you first. And that is that we're talking about triple negative breast cancer this is an extraordinarily challenging disease. Is there a message that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, you know, I guess just mentioning that as scientists, we are fully aware of the difficulties that you're facing and that there's many of us that are working tirelessly to do everything in our power to try to find new therapeutic options. And maybe a message for everyone is that as we have seen with the current pandemic, is that money is the great limiting step in speeding the process to finding solutions to healthcare problems. So if you're in the position to reach to your pocket and donate to research, please do so. And the ACS is a wonderful organization. Uh, this scientist supports that message. Um, but we also have a voice, and with, through our voices, we can serve as advocates to ensure that our government representatives understand the importance of research and of passing federal budgets that help fund research so that we can focus on the science and speed up the process of developing cures instead of having to worry about money. Beautifully said. Thank you, Claudia. Mike, same question for you. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to reiterate uh, what Claudia said, although I, I agree with all of it. Uh, what I would say to the to the patients directly is that uh, you really do have a team of people that are largely invisible to you. They're standing many feet, perhaps, behind the clinicians that you see every day that are really working tirelessly for for better cures and new treatments that maybe not today and tomorrow, but five years from now are going to lead to to better treatments for people with this disease so that i don't know the the daughters and granddaughters of uh, patients now are not uh facing the same sort of treatments and and especially in the past year with the pandemic and all the challenges this has created for working uh you still have uh people working tirelessly uh towards these goals well claudia mike 
you are indeed an incredible invisible team and i'm just thrilled to have you as part of the acs community and we look forward to to more to come so thank you and best of luck thank you yeah thank you for having us and for your support